Sales Podcast. I'm Liz Winstead, and this is the podcast that thinks Oppenheimer could have used a little more pink. Yeah, definitely. Just a little bit I like more. they missed the mark on that. Tonight we're live at Terminal West in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are so excited to be with this beautiful audience. <laughs> Mochi, tell the fine folks of Atlanta what we got coming up on the show. Hello, audience. Hello. Hello, Earhole friends, the people who are not here tonight. You know, just when you think you've heard it all, we have the newest push in stripping your rights away. Um, fetus lawyers, we'll tell you more about that. And also over a dozen AGs have a plan to put a lawyer in every uterus. Very good use of this. Yeah, an overreach that would uh, test every constitutional limit. Again, we'll tell you a little bit about that. I know, I kind of feel like conservatives' favorite sexual position is the overreach around. Again, that joke kind of doesn't work. The overreach around? Come on now. Bring it in. (laughs) Plus, we have amazing guests from Grace and Frankie, the hilarious Baron Vaughn is here to do some stand up and have a little chat with us. And a reproductive justice trifecta, Agbo Ikor, Kwajalein Jackson, and Inyang Njoku talk about abortion justice in Georgia. Yes! It's a full show! I feel bad for the people who aren't here, quite frankly. Um, but so why we're here in Atlanta, we're not just here to do the podcast, although it would be great if we were the Pod Save America. We are, with less and more <laughs> Pod Save Abortion? Um, pod Save Abortion would be nice. Um, We're here because with AAF, part of our work is there is an unbelievably horrible extremist group that is called uh, Operation Save America. And I know. Oh, you guys are aware. Oh, you're aware. So proud. They're an offshoot of Operation Rescue for your old guard folks. They have been terrorizing abortion providers and patients for 50 years. And they've kind of gone unchecked, quite frankly, in our movement. People kind of wrote them off as extremists, and they've been getting elected slowly and doing all the shit. So they have their national convention in a different city every year. And we at Abortion Access Front travel to where that national convention is, and we know where it is because we've joined their churches clandestinely. We follow them. We do their shit. They, we have all the, it's really fun. Um, and they don't know, and they have never really been subjected to women who talk. <laughs> so they're pretty freaked out. So what we do is we help, we help out at the clinics if they need us with like extra escorts because they come in mosques. It's like a thousand people sometimes. It can be, and so, and then they travel around the city and they're garbage. They go to, we were at the Brave Stadium today and they were out there with those abortion signs and we were out there trolling them. And so um, we're just here to do some good work, um, to work with the folks here in Atlanta and then to also expose who these fuckers are. And We've all been in various stages of what we do. Alyssa, um, this is your first time experiencing this phenomenon. What were your thoughts? I I mean, I feel like you guys did a great job of preparing me for watching hours of how horrible these guys are. But you don't really get it until you watch them putting their children to work while they do their little open mics of hatred um, and watching how little they actually care about the children right in front of them really put it all in perspective. It was nasty. Yeah, nasty. and they, and here, I'm going to break some news. Alyssa's not a Christian, and they didn't enjoy that. No, they no. were not fans. Not fans. That was a fun 
Target. I, I took a lot of boxes. Queer, Muslim, feminist. They, they hate those things. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, what I'm asking, well, what, what were you doing in 1992 while I was out here uh, saving babies? And I was like, okay, I was too. Um, <laughs> and I was in the middle of the Gulf War. And he goes, oh, did you serve? And I said, <laughs> I'm going to have to invest in a new moisturizer. <laughs> But no, I was being warred upon <laughs> over in Kuwait at the time. Yeah, they don't understand that Americans... The Gulf War wasn't just a game show on TV with graphics <laughs> and a theme song. Newsflash, I was there. You were warred <laughs> upon. And Moji, um, you've done this a couple of times. Oh, yeah, no, this, I'm old hat at hanging out with the OSA folks. I know all their greatest hits. Uh, my womb is a death stroke, you know, all that crap. Oh, that's um, a good one. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorites. But what I... Noticed again, because you know what? There was a pandemic, I don't know if you guys remember, and so I sat out a lot of the OSA crap. Uh, so this is my first time in a few years going back and really getting the, the OSA in stereo. Um, and it was wild being outside of the clinic. We were at, which clinic were we at yesterday? Preferred. And they were yelling at any man who happened to be walking in with a woman that he needed to essentially drag her by the hair away and be a provider. And that was wild. Like, they did not address women. If there were men around, they were like, oh. yeah, gather your woman. Don't <laughs> let her abort your baby. There was a lot of your... It was a lot of your babies. Yeah, there it was, was a, wild. Yeah. And, and, and they even refer to us as vessels. They literally will call us vessels. And I was like, I am not a... My sisters call me Terminator 3. I don't want to get too much, but I'm just saying, I ain't nobody's vessel. So I kind of wanted to flex and be like, I actually have to step out and do some parenting in the middle of this protest. But I was like, they are, don't understand parenting. No, they don't understand parenting for sure. And it's always like, well, adopt your baby. I'm like, and then have them stand out here with a sign in 90 degree. No, thank you. No, thank you. So that was our day. That is why we're here. How we're going to do this show is we're going to do some of the quick headlines that you have heard in the news this week. And then we're going to get to some meaty stories that really got Moji and I's panties in a twist. So, listen on what happened this week, Alyssa. Hey, everybody. It is time for your weekly steaming news dump that is covering all the abortion news that is shit to print. Let's start uh, with some good news. Over no. I know. I know. <laughs> listen, I had to start you in easy. Uh, the state of Maine is doing the most, enshrining reproductive rights so you can have an abortion at any time a doctor deems it medically necessary. All right. Yes. Yeah. We love that. This is great news for the 122 people who actually live in Maine. But for the rest of the country, be warned, it may take up to 40 weeks to even get to Maine from where you are. For those of you doing the math, that is a full-term pregnancy. Barring any strongly worded letters from Susan Collins, abortion is now poised to surpass Stephen King novels as Maine's number one export. All right. Oh, Maine. Yeah. Now let's take a 22-hour drive from Maine all the way over to Iowa. Now, there may be a writer strike going on right now, but a Children of the Corn reboot is playing out in the Iowa courts currently. A judge there has blocked the state's second six-week ban that was just passed one week ago. <laughs> Insiders say Iowans are afraid that if this six-week ban goes into effect, it'll take away the only activity that there is left to do in that state. <laughs> And the hot takes keep piling up this week on the story that continues to be the gift that keeps on giving me a rash. Of course, we're talking about Tommy Tuberville's destruction of military readiness and access to abortion. Hot take number one. Insurrectionist fist bumper Josh Hawley 
doesn't want people to have special rights to do what he's calling abortion tourism. <laughs> abortion tour. Can you imagine the pamphlet for that? <laughs> All-inclusive beachfront with sun, surf, and all the abortion pills you can eat. <laughs> Tip is not included. Bring your sangles. <laughs> Hot take number two. Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina this week dabbled in protecting abortion rights for a solid three and a half minutes, boldly denouncing Tuberville's amendment, saying, quote, it was an asshole move. Ironically, Mesa's next move was also an asshole one, to vote for Tuberville's asshole move. Okay, now there's a semi-asshole move coming up. Are you ready? Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he'll put Tuberville's anti-abortion amendment to a vote, saying he wanted to give it a fair hearing, also claiming it wouldn't pass. But with Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, the Jay-Z and Beyonce of asshole moves, if you will, Schumer can't promise shit, okay? Your move, asshole. I feel like there's way too many assholes on the move here. There's a lot of assholes. Somebody bring me some emodium on the corner stage, please. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all for me, folks. Thank you. This has been your skinny pile of news. Thank you, Alyssa. The thing that is sort of startling is that we can do a weekly podcast and there's shit we don't mentioned because we don't have enough time oh my gosh it's so much i know it is so much and so uh we have so many stories that moji and i there was two that we both were like we have to drill down because there was slight mention of it on the news but they just didn't hit what we needed to get to so moji you want to kick off with the first one absolutely this is one that got my panties in a twist 19 attorneys general are super butthurt and wrote an angry letter to the Department of Health and Human Services because, wait for it, the federal government plans to step in and tell them they cannot force other states to hand over people's medical records when they travel for legal abortion care. Yeah, wait for it, it gets better. These states pass bounty hunting laws and abortion trafficking laws and HRT bans, and now they keep passing these laws where they actually assert they have the right to arrest their own citizens in other states and that they can snatch those medical records and prosecute them. And this is like wild. So essentially doctors, abortion providers, other healthcare professionals have asked, they actually went to the Department of Health and Human Services and they're like, we need a little clarity. We just need to know like, what of these asshole laws do we need to comply with? Can you just clarify what's happening in HIPAA so that we can know what we have to comply with. Yeah, and the federal government was like, sure, you know, we'll look into it. And then they're like, here's the deal. We're just going to clarify it. No state can arrest you for crossing state lines to have an abortion in a state that is legal, full stop. That is what we want to propose. And man, they went fucking mental. These AGs, basically, they just want the right to hunt people down. And they are not even trying to hide it. They said in their letter, it was like a 19-page letter. They were like, "Uh, basically... Um, doctors should not be empowered to decide whether reproductive health care that is lawful in the state they provided in is lawful in the state they provided in. They were like, doctors, oh no. How would they know? There's no way for them to know. And these AGs also say, like, we need this rule change to not be implemented so that we can double check to see if the doctors really did what was lawful. That is the hottest of takes. I can't believe the federal government would interfere to say that health care providers 
know how to provide health care. We are so pissed. <laughs> and like, we know what happens. We've all seen, we read the news. We know what happens when politicians decide to practice medicine. We have people bleeding in parking lots, right? When they're miscarrying. We have people traveling to other states when they're miscarrying. We have such a lower standard of care and so many things that are just really fucked up. And just this week, I don't know if any of you guys are paying attention to the news. A woman in Texas was talking about when she was left bleeding in the parking lot while she was miscarrying and had sepsis, and she threw up on the stand. Retelling the story. She was so re-traumatized. I mean, that's where we're at. And it's like, it sounds messy, yes. And, and what I don't understand is, again, with the world, I guess I don't understand this, it seems profoundly and clearly unconstitutional. Yep. And yet, so many things have seemed profoundly and unclearly unconstitutional. And then you're like, well, what about HIPAA? What about HIPAA? What about HIPAA? I mean, seriously, what about HIPAA? I feel like what happened, you know, people are often they're like, oh, it sounds like HIPAA violation. So HIPAA stands for, in case you don't know, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And it's a federal act that allows you to essentially take your medical records from state to state. It also allows patients to access their own records. And it also limits who can access your records. But there have always been carve outs for law enforcement. And so what are these car belts, right? This is the question. So one example of a HIPAA violation is a hospital employee has your medical records up on a computer and then they walk away. That's a HIPAA violation. Anyone know that's a HIPAA violation, right? But a doctor talking to law enforcement about your procedure, is that a HIPAA violation? Unclear. And that is exactly what the act that the Health and Human Service is trying to do is to make that clear. Like, no, they can't talk to people about your reproductive health. Well, and here's the messy part. Like, I don't know if you've been thinking, the whole time I was reading all of this information, I was like, I don't understand. A, there is no federal abortion ban, so how is this even a thing? And B, people travel to other states all the time to do shit that's legal in that state, <laughs> right? People buy weed, they gamble, they get hookers. They're like, I mean, there's 31 states. In America, where you can marry a 16-year-old. Did you know that? Yep. 30 fucking one state. It's like, can you imagine them legislating that shit? Like Johnny, Indiana can't go to Vegas and spill, like, I don't know, buffalo wing juice on some hooker's boobs because <laughs> he can't do it in Indiana? No. No, that would never happen. Not in a million happen. years. There's lobbyists for that. That would never happen. So, like, let's game out some of the things that can happen, right? There's scenario one. I'm in Georgia, right, or something like Georgia, one of the other 18 states, and I take a home pregnancy test, and then I travel to Illinois for an abortion. That seems like nobody could track you. Right, no paper trail, but um, what if there's an aggrieved partner, right? Yeah, what if you texted your partner and said, I'm going to have an abortion, and they're like, I'm turning you in. And they turn you in, and then what if Georgia was like, uh, Illinois, we need to see these records because we think that one of our citizens did a thing that wasn't legal in our state. That's kind of fucked up. That's a mess. And then, do y'all know about the fake clinics? So there's a series of fake clinics that we're going to talk about later in the show, but basically there are these religiously funded clinics that are in America that are not covered by any HIPAA protections at all. No oversight at all. And they lure people in to get pregnancy tests because they advertise on buses and stuff. And so they would turn over anybody's name to anybody. So if you were unlucky enough to get a pregnancy test in Georgia, let's say, and your pregnancy test 
And then they gave you an ultrasound, and they were like, you're over the six-week thing. And then you went somewhere else to get an abortion. They could possibly just turn over your name and all your information, go to your house and be like, where's that kid? It's a mess. It's terrifying. It is chilling. And yeah. then we could, we could start about undocumented folks, but like... This country makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. And the thing is, like, we're lucky that it's the Biden administration and HHS, but we all know there's so many health care regulations with this person is nominated by a president, and if that president sucks... Then the, the rules suck. The rules, yeah, the change. rules change. The rules alter. They are basically made to fit whatever the agenda of the president. And so we're okay right now, but there's an election coming up, which brings us to the second story of epic ramifications. Liz, will you lay it out for us? So another who's who of crackpots from across the anti-abortion movement, the leaders, they got together and they wrote this slop ad in the National Review that literally said, basically, hey, fuck born people. We want to protect fetuses under the 14th Amendment and fetuses only. And it is a laundry list of just prenatal child support for fetuses, tax credits for fetuses, forcing IVF embryos to stay in cryo longer than Walt Disney. <laughs> All with the goal, basically, just crowning the fetus sort of king of the uterus. Like, that is just the plan. So this was written by 26 of, again, the most influential leaders uh, of the anti-abortion movement. And they're pushing for this on a federal level. So, like, what y'all got here in Georgia, they want us all to have it. New York, Illinois, Michigan, Maine. 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 Yeah. Maine. And they lead really hard on the 14th Amendment, which is super weird because the 14th Amendment is pretty explicit in its language. I'm just going to read the 14th Amendment because um, I don't have it memorized. (laughs) (laughs) The 14th Amendment defines a United States citizenship as all persons, here's the word, born or naturalized in the United States, are citizens of the United States. Um, the key word here is born. Not pre-born? Unborn. It's the opposite <laughs> of born. That is not a thing. There's not the show, it's not called the unborn identity. That is not the movie that anyone wants to see. <laughs> so they kick off this uh, slop ed. I love that. This is exactly what they wrote. The same constitutional principles that ensured equal pol- protection for black Americans also protect defenseless children in the womb. Literally for me, like, it's the racism for me. Like, the, <laughs> the blatant racism of the anti-choice movement, it has no bounds. Like, the 14th Amendment was literally written to give black people rights that this country did not give us in the founding of this country. And fetuses, Moji. But they love to conflate black people and fetuses. They're like, oh, same, same. It's the same thing. And I just want to remind everybody that when you give a fetus a right... What you are doing is you are stripping a right away from a pregnant person every single time. There are no exceptions. 100%. And there is a laundry list, and we kind of ran it at the top. But like, There was a couple of carve-outs that we just wanted to highlight because it is fucking bizarre. So one is basically every batter blast into a uterus <laughs> becomes... A child with all of the rights and privileges and equal protection in state and federal laws, full stop. So that's just basically weird. Yep. And they want to ensure that any time a fetus is not birthed, somebody gets punished with fetal homicide, wrongful death, child endangerment. There's more. There's more. There's more. It's like you are not allowed to have a pregnancy 
that doesn't come to full term for any reason without having somebody investigating you. I mean, that is where we're fucking at. And I'm just going to, like, drop really some hot take. This is a terrible Love idea. Love a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> terrible idea. But, and also, not only is it a terrible idea, it's already happening. Yeah. Like, all this shit is already happening. Yeah, Parvi Patel was sentenced to 20 years for self-managed abortion after, in, Indiana. in Indiana after seeking health care after her abortion. Uh, a woman, Brittany Pula, just two years ago was sentenced to four years because she miscarried. And they think maybe it had something to do with drug use. Really unclear. They're not clear. But also, I just want to say, too, we don't talk about abortion enough to say things that are really profound. And one of the things that we need to think about is if that person was doing drugs during their pregnancy... Their pregnancy is theirs. And we cannot be judging people based yeah. on what they do to... If we believe in full bodily autonomy, yeah. we have to believe in full bodily autonomy. That is what we believe. So it's not a, I just want to say that this, oh, their behavior shit... Nah. Is bullshit and fetal, and fetal personhood. Yeah, some tainted, drugged-out sperm doesn't get any call-outs. No. <laughs> no. Over it. That was in Oklahoma, but my favorite, and by favorite I mean one of the more horrifying, is in Alabama, Marche Jones was shot by someone else while pregnant, and because she'd initiated the fight that resulted in her being shot and ended her pregnancy, she was indicted for fetal homicide laws. The shooter? Nothing. I don't even think they got a tap on the yeah. wrist. But she was indicted, and if political pressure had not come to bear, she would be in jail. Yep, she would be in jail. And the big finish to the list is, of course, a lawyer for every fetus. <laughs> yep, they, quote, want to ensure that children in the womb are afforded due process and legal representation in judicial proceedings. Like, you know, all Americans. You know who they don't want that for? People who do drugs. <laughs> or anyone, really. Literally ever, anyone. Right? And so if you're like, who are these people? And why do they have a, any kind of op-ed in the National Review? Or anyway, like, who are the leaders of the pro-life movement? Well, we're just going to tell you a few of them because they're epic. And it's going to sound like they're fringe, but they're not. They're not fringe at all. So one of my favorite is Teresa Bukanovic. Am I saying this right? Bukanovic. Bukanovic. <laughs> or Bukanovic. <laughs> Teresa the asshole. <laughs> Teresa Bukanovic, she is the leader of this organization called, unironically, Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, or POW. 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 Um, so you've probably never heard of them, although this is a cool crowd. You may have heard of them. Their big moment was in 2022 when um, they stole 115 fetuses from a medical waste truck, and then they stored them in coolers in their apartments and then they passed them around to their friends, other anti-abortion people, and did unboxing fetus videos on Facebook. And then, you know, as progressives always do, they did a press conference with Ted Cruz. Fully our style. <laughs> and at the press conference, if you just want to know even more janky-like behaviors, they had a person speak who said that the abortion movement in Washington, D.C. is so great that the electricity in Baltimore and D.C. is run by them burning the fetuses in that town. <laughs> they said this aloud in their outside voice on TV. <laughs> At a press conference. <laughs> 
Now, I'm going to make another controversial statement. I believe we should be using fetal tissue for medical research. That's not controversial. I believe that that's what people should do. But also, if fetuses could run cities, that seems like a very economical and environmentally friendly way to power your shit. I'm just saying. And also, like, now every time I walk around my apartment and, like, the light doesn't work, I'm like, oh, they got to get some more fetuses. I can't. Somebody get them in there. This is what they're doing. And it's not hypothetical. These, like, everything that we just listed, all of that weird shit, has been proposed. But on a federal level, you have Mike Lee, you have Joni Ernst, Rand Paul, all proposing one of these pieces into legislation. Yep. Yeah, so these people are influencing people, and it's terrifying. The link to these and all of our stories will be in our show notes when you listen to the pod. And to find the best and most up-to-the-minute info in accessing abortion care and funding, you can go to INeedAnA.com. INeedAnA.com. Well, that wraps up our big stories of the week. Thank you. And we are about to take our first little break, but before we do, we cannot go out without letting you know how we're supported to do this podcast. I mean, we couldn't do it without the help of our fake sponsors. And we are so lucky because tonight we have one of them with us to actually tell you about the product. So please welcome, to help with all of your fetal litigation needs, the TV lawyer from It's Always Sunny, Brian Unger. Batter, blast, really Liz? Wow. Are you being wrongfully terminated? Threatened with uterine eviction? Don't panic. I can help. You've got squatter's rights. That's right. Hi, I'm It's Always Sunny and Philadelphia lawyer Brian Unger, attorney for the unborn. I'm here to take on big abortion and defend your right in that uterus until you decide to relocate on your terms. If dirty freegans can take over a building for years and claim ownership, why can't you take over someone else's body for nine months? As it says in my Bill of Rights, life begins at the moment the weenie pulls into that garage. (laughs) And that garage is yours to call home until you find your way out to live rent-free for at least 18 more years. I pride myself in speaking for those who cannot speak for themselves because you don't have little lips and literally can't form words. <laughs> Email me now at Brian Unger and Sons, the ones who weren't aborted, for a free consultation using the promo code BROLIFE and get a pair of my patented fetal kitten mittens absolutely free. <laughs> don't wait, let me help you because every fetus ends with us. <laughs> terrible sponsors. Yeah, we, really we have the worst have sponsors. We need better sponsors. We need any sponsors. <laughs> to be honest, this gag is really fun until you look at the bank account. Like, Thank hey. you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Grab <laughs> the hammer, Brian. Thank you, Brian. everybody. Are you ready for some comedy and some fun and some amazing guests? 
I feel like you are. Our next guest is a dear friend of mine. I'm so excited that he gets to be here with us tonight, and you get to hear a little bit from him. He's a comedian and actor that you know from Grace and Frankie and the Mystery Science Theater reboot. Please welcome the one and only Baron Vaughn. Thank you. A round of applause for, for Liz and Moji, everybody. I love that you said yes to come on the, the abortion podcast. And I think the question is, why? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Uh, well, I, I've known Liz for a number of years. Um, I only just met Moji, but I'm very impressed, and she's kind of incredible. I get that a lot. And I believe in what you're doing, obviously, you know, um, so I wanted to be able to come support and uh, meet all these uh, beautiful people out here tonight. Awesome. Love it. I know, and it's so rare that, like, Brian's an old friend, and you're an old friend, and to have all of you live here and to do a show in a town, we're like, oh, my God, A-list awesome friends are here. Um, it kind of makes it really special. It is the A, so. A. <laughs> you're my A-list We're in the A. You're in the A. <laughs> yep. Okay, so... I do think when you got Grace and Frankie. Oh, yeah. Right? And I was like, how the fuck is Baron doing a show with my two feminist icons? And why am I not doing a show with my two feminist icons? Bitch, still your know. look. I was like, you are really treading thinly, my friend, on my career. <laughs> That's not the question, though. The question. <laughs> just, we just thought that was I funny. Was just, I was just like, I need to get off my chest. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, okay wow. So Jump in. you have recently moved to Atlanta from Los Angeles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we know that uh, moving to Atlanta, at least, was part of your dream for you. And, of course, that dream was to vote for Herschel Walker. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just... Uh, Truthfully, though, are you loving your time in the Peach State? Is it a dream? Uh, it is. It is. I love Atlanta. I've been coming to Atlanta. Before I moved here, I was coming here for a good decade. And, and every time I came here, I fell more and more in love with the city. And every time I was in a different city and met someone I really liked, always, coincidentally, they happened to be from Atlanta. So I'm like, okay, all right. Even though I'm in Herman, Nebraska. <laughs> There was someone from Atlanta here. I must be. I must go there. And I think also a big thing is like this is the kind of city that I feel like I can plant roots in for real. And this is the kind of place. This is the kind of city I want to raise my children in as well. Atlanta. I, I'm trying to figure it out because I feel like everybody I know here is super cool. Yep. Right. That lives here and that I've met and I come here and I'm like the activism is like inspiring. Like the people you're about to see talking are like people who like shaped how I do this work. And then, just like America, there's a, some shit bags, Ooh. it turns out. You know, that you're just like, Ooh. wow, how, how do you get, like, Raphael Warnock and Marjorie Taylor Greene in the same sandwich? I mean, it's like, I know. It's like you just drive a little mm -hmm. bit and then that shit happens. And I think almost every state is That's like that. That's the biggest thing that I keep hearing from people from Atlanta. It's like, if you go 20 minutes that way, it's going to start getting strange. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so don't go 20 minutes that way. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, good. But I feel like that's everywhere. You it know, is. I split my time between Brooklyn and Minneapolis. And you drive 20 minutes outside of the city and you have George Santos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy, mm -hmm. yeah, that guy. And it's the same with Minnesota. You're just like, what is going on? So I think it's just like 
that 20 minute drive might be, don't ever drive 20 minutes. I was going to say, just stay in the city. Drive 30 and get yeah. past that, that, that yeah. horrible yeah. thing that happens at 20 minutes. But okay, so I cannot talk to you about your career without talking to you about the wild ass show that you and I did in New York. So Baron and I did this off Broadway show called Wake Up World that was a satire of morning shows. I think we have a yeah. picture of us uh, from it. Low Liz, Low Baron. Your name was Hope Jean-Paul. No, I, and I actually said, my name is Hope Jean-Paul. I'm actually um, the second, so I'm Hope Jean-Paul the second. <laughs> and I was Davis Miles. That's yeah, right. Davis Miles. And we were, it was the most, it was like, it was a show that was kind of ahead of its time. And the funny thing about it is that Brian Unger did a show that was very similar three years before that. So it was like this show that kept happening. We did a show every Monday. We wrote a new show live based on the news. Mm-hmm. And your character was a pompous asshole. Yep. Typecasting. My character was a vapid shitbag. We'd say things that were just... <laughs> I mean, it was really just like... I I right? I, yeah, I just, it's just funny because sometimes you see character descriptions. It's like, they're a teacher who has a dark past, but the character description is like, vapid asshole. That was yeah, that's... vapid asshole. Yeah. And then it would just like fall into this character. It was just very fun. And we had an exercise guru come on who was from Blackwater. I've actually seen that clip. It's he wild. He was from Blackwater, and he had an exercise video called Extreme Waterboard Abs. Yes. <laughs> It was wild. It, I mean, it was like we pushed the envelope all the time just to show a Because our whole thing was what America celebrated was so fucked up that these characters were celebrating the most fucked up things that Americans did. And I, I think we did it. It was pretty fun. I remember some line being like, yeah, and that fear of death is just going to just wash that weight right <laughs> off of you. Yeah. It, it, was just, it was all fucked up lines like yeah, that. It yeah. was really wild to Yeah, watch. it was very fucked up. But um, I have a question. Yes. Yeah, go Off ahead, subject a little bit. Because um, we, I, I love Grace and Frankie. But what projects do you love that you never get to talk about? Wow. What projects do I love like that, that I never get to talk about? that you've done that you're like, oh my God, no one ever asked me about that. Oh, wow. Um... Well, you know, one of the weirdest things, I mean, there's a, there's a few. <laughs> yes, of course. My IMDb is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but I had the honor of being in this, uh, I would say, seminal independent film called Black Dynamite many, oh, many years yes. ago. Some people know. Oh, nice. It was the first, first job, I want to say, that I ever got. And I really did like it was shoot. I was living in New York at the time. It shot in L.A., and I like paid my whole way to to be there because I'm like I got to be in this movie. I remember reading the script and they cast me in it. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, check it out. If you have seen it, I'm the first first yeah. scene of the movie. If you, it, it's kind of it's a take on black exploitation films, but they also play with the conventions of everyone outside, like how the politics outside of the set influences the set like there'd be stuff like the actor playing black dynamite doesn't want to do this scene like that's kind of like the meta thing so my take was uh, my my bit was that like you know they're doing these black exploitation movies but a lot of the professional black actors were like super duper new york theater people so they did not sound like they were from the streets 
at all, you know? And that was kind of the bit that I did, where I was like, I will slap you up and down these streets. I come from the hood, sucker. Stuff like that was kind of like my bit. And I love that I got to do this like crazy meta sort of thing. And I would get recognized by the weirdest people. I remember one time, actually I was hanging out with Liz uh, in Brooklyn and I went down, there was this uh, restaurant downstairs and I went to get a burger and Common was there. <laughs> and he was with Serena at the time. Williams? So, yes. Yeah, so, do you have to say Williams? No. She is Let's recognizable. Let's say Beyonce, no. The teenage witch. <laughs> And I saw Beyonce, wait a minute, Johnson? <laughs> Knowles. Oh, okay, I thought you meant Beyonce I went to high school with. Um, but yeah, Common and, and was down there with Serena, and I noticed them, I was like, was that Common? And Serena, well, okay. And I got my burger, and as I was about to walk out, Common was like, excuse me, excuse me, brother. And I was like, yeah, and I came over, and he was like, were you a black dynamite? And I was like, yes, I was. <laughs> And I walked out with the confidence of a man with two burgers. I, I, well, what was hilarious about that is we would rehearse the show at my apartment all the time. And it was just, and so Baron comes up to my apartment with a hamburger. And I was like, did something happen to you? I got recognized. And he said, yes. And I was like, like, did you get robbed? Like, what do you mean that you I was like, robbed of my he insignificance. Was, you were stunned. Yeah. Thank you, Moji. Well, let me tell that story. Moji, well, I'm so <laughs> glad you told that story. That was one of the best stories. I have another question. Okay. Not as exciting, but, you know, you are a writer and an actor, and uh -huh. both of your unions are striking right now. Yes. Is there anything significant that you could share with us about your thoughts on, the, on this or anything you think people should know? Because everyone seems to think of Tom Cruise when they think of actors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that common story is a perfect example of like, I am the quintessential working class actor. You know, I've been in enough things that people just think that they know me. That's a thing that happened, you know, all the time where people see me on TV and they go like, hey, you work downtown? I'm like, no, I don't. Do you know Jimmy? I don't. You know Jimmy owes me money though. I'm like, I, I don't know that. I don't know Jimmy, I don't work downtown. You are lying, but you tell Jimmy I'm coming for his ass. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Grace and Frank, you're like, oh, that's what. I know. Sorry. It's so embarrassing when you have to say, maybe what? you saw me on that thing. I remember there's a friend of ours, and uh, Victor Varnado is a black albino man, okay? And he's been in a lot of movies. And I remember one time walking down the street with him, his family stopped us. They're like, you are in stuff. And he... <laughs> And he was like, what? And he's like, you, what are you in? And he was like, ah, I was in Into Days. I was in Adventures of Pluto Nash. He's like, Pluto Nash, that's what it is. You like that movie? And the daughter was like, I don't like that movie. But, but that is kind of like, these are the people, the people that we get recognized, you know, you know, we're the middle class that has sort of like lost our livelihood in a lot of ways, you know? So it's like the work that we're doing, we're not being compensated for it in a way that we can survive. Uh, you know, I'm currently broke uh, after being on the longest running Netflix show, you know, for, you know, we beat Orange is the New Black by three episodes, I yeah. think. So it's kind of like, uh, thanks. Uh, but like, it's kind of one of those things where I can get recognized, but like, that's the kind of thing that makes me go, okay, people were watching this, but of course Netflix was always notoriously tight about what the numbers were. Because their metric, they were kind of, I always felt like they were making it up, 
but they were definitely hiding it from us. Right. Because if, they, if we knew how many people were watching the thing, then they knew that we would have some kind of leverage. So that's the sort of thing that, is, that people are hoping to change. And the fact that the WGA and SAG are both on strike for the first time is, is uh, for the first yeah. time in like since 1960 or something like that, yeah. that's indicative of like bad labor practices, right. you know? So yep. things got to change and, you know, it's kind of amazing. It's part of a larger labor movement that is happening mm-hmm. worldwide, you know? So it's, it's kind of incredible. I lo- and it's like, I often say to people, as we talk about the strikes, because, I mean, we're both two union strike right now. It's like we're in. But memorize the amount of money these studio executives make and do not have a conversation about without mentioning that David Zasloff makes $287 million and do not have a conversation that, you know, Ari Emanuel makes $210 million a year. This whole story is about the greed of what these people make on the backs of working writers and working actors and fuck them, fuck them. So, you know. If you were, I don't know if it's true for you, but I was reading um, somebody and, and, and it was saying, I got a Netflix show and I can't remember what the show was. And they said, I have never gotten a raise working on a streaming service. My salary stayed the same, right? And so it's like, oh, those are the things that happens. If you have worked on a show that's streaming and you haven't gotten a raise in four years, there is no other industry where you don't get at least right. a COLA raise, right? At least a cost of living raise. And so it's that kind of stuff where it's like, Jesus, they make a lot of money off the backs of people. And it's um, and then they own your ass. So thanks for sharing that about the because yeah. I just feel like it's a lot of folks hear it and they read about it and they see it on entertainment tonight. And the both sides there's abortion both sidesism that's terrible. And the second bad both sidesism is, well, there's both sides yeah. in this whole union huh. thing. And it's like, there is not fucking both sides. There's greedy people, and then there's people just saying, Can I have a raise and make a living <laughs> wage, please? Well, I mean, like, kind of like the national, I guess, tendency of union busting. I guess it's been going on for, like, decades. Yeah, it has been. And they really destroyed the idea of union and labor in the minds of, like, the general public. Yeah. And so I'm I'm happy that these these are the things that are being discussed right now. Yeah. Well, Baron, thank you so much for joining us. You are a joy and a delight, and it was so great to see you. Thank you. You are awesome. All right. And we will have a link to all things Baron Vaughn in our show notes for the listeners at home. That's exactly correct. Guys, this is like one of my favorite parts. For those of you that listen to the pod, you know what's coming. This is when we play the party game that is faster than Monopoly and more fun than Taboo. That's right. You know what? All you people here, six degrees of abortion, everyone. Yes. And this is where I take a story ripped from the news or such. And Liz has six chances to somehow link it to abortion. I'm doing it publicly. Publicly. She's doing it live. Not my strongest, but I'm really excited about it. We're all excited about Barbie Hyman. No? Barbie Hyman? Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Barbie Hyman is also very I'm sorry. English isn't my first language. (laughs) No, I think... No, can we start calling it Barbie Hyman, I'm going to call it Barbie Hyman. Because I think we all wonder about that. So Oppenheimer is coming out... Uh, the same day as Barbie, which I'm 3,000% more excited about. 
But an actor that I love is in it, Cillian Murphy. You may have no heard idea of him. who that oh, is. Oh gosh, well he's in he's in Oppenheimer. He's kind of a big deal. Everybody else, he was like in so many other movies. I love. I am like a pop culture dumpster uh, fire. So let's anyway, try it. Take you know what you Do have, I have to tag that. Easy way. Nope, just Oppenheimer. Tag Oppenheimer to abortion. Six tries. Okay. Um. I'm going to go a really stupid way that's going to bore everyone, but I feel like I'm going to do it. Okay. So um, <laughs> I can't really tie Oppenheimer. I probably could, but I'm not going to try. It's Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Who is that? He's a director. Oh, yeah, I saw him. I just saw He's him on Entertainment Tonight. kind of a big tonight. deal. Oh, yeah, he did other movies I haven't seen either. So many that movies. That Matt Damon, he did, I didn't see The Matrix. He did The Matrix, is that him? No, okay. absolutely not. Who Never. is he? I don't he know did shit. The, he did the movie where the where the walls were sliding. What was oh, the yeah, one? that was the Guy Pierce movie. That's what I meant. He what? did the Guy, Memento. No. That, yes! 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 It's the blind leading the blind yes. up here. No, no, I know. This is always a disaster because Moji goes, this is an easy one. And then she'll say one of those Chris's who's famous. Any of the Chris's. I don't know any of the Chris's. I know all of the Chris's. I know none of the Chris's. I don't know shit. We can I talk Chris's. Riverdale. I'm a mess. Anyway, Ty Riverdale abortion, I got you. Okay, so here's how I'm going to do it. One of my favorite songs by an artist named Billy Bragg. Any Billy Bragg fans? It's called Great Leap Forward. And in that song, he says, Dr. Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell at the first hurdle. I opened for Billy Bragg. In oh, God damn it. <laughs> this woman needs to stay in the house. <laughs> Um, I've had abortions. <laughs> so I'm going with Oppenheimer, Billy Bragg lyric. I opened for Billy Bragg. I think I did it in four. Do I have it? Okay. <laughs> it was about the lamest way I could go, but like, I always, I literally panic at this time of the show, because I never know. All right, let's move it along because we have amazing guests to close out this whole thing. All right, Moji, let's tell the folks who they, they are. They are badasses in the reproductive justice movement right here in Atlanta doing all the work like abortion provision, abortion funding, policy advocacy, and so much more. Please welcome Agbo Ikor, Kwajalein Jackson, and Inyang Janku. Yes. So, this is how this shit works. None of y'all are doing just one thing. <laughs> You all do multiple things. So to set it off, can each of you tell folks about your organization, what you do? Maybe, Kwajalein, let's start with you. Hello, everyone. My name is Kwajalein Jackson. I'm the executive director at Feminist Women's Health Center, which is... <laughs> Ever heard of it? Uh, we are a reproductive health rights and justice organization that has been providing abortion care in Georgia since 1976. Woo! That's my whole life, y'all. <laughs> and we also do outreach, advocacy, leadership development, public policy, civic engagement, um, and movement building all around the state. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Agbo Ikor. I am the policy and advocacy director with Spark Reproductive Justice Now. Based here in Atlanta. 
Um, we are a reproductive justice organization that operates at the intersections of reproductive justice and queer and trans liberation. Queer folks get abortions, trans folks get abortions, we need contraception. Um, and I've been with Spark for about six years now, and Spark has been around for 15, 16 years now. Awesome. awesome. And Inyang, will you round us out? Yes. Hello, y'all. My name's Inyang. I use she and her pronouns. I am the director of Caller Services of Access Reproductive Care Southeast. We are an abortion fund, and we support with funding and logistical support and also have an amazing outreach team. And then I'm also a registered nurse at Summit Medical Associates, an abortion clinic here in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. All right, Kwajalein, I'm going to kick it off with you. All right, so for all of you that are not like in the weeds with what's going on with abortion access in Georgia, I wondered if you could just um, lay out and summarize what is happening with the state of abortion access in Georgia as we sit here on this stage. I'd be happy to. So the first thing that I always say is that abortion is legal in Georgia. Say it again. Say it again. Abortion is legal in Georgia. It is heavily restricted. It is extremely restricted, but it is legal. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We are still providing abortion care almost every single day. So the restriction that passed in, technically passed the legislature in 2019, HB 481, restricted abortion to the point at which fetal cardiac activity is detectable. So it's not actually a weeks and days limit, it is a fetal development limit. It does have exceptions, meaning that if the pregnancy is a result of rape or incest and the person um, has filed a police report to that um, end, or if the pregnancy has been deemed medically futile, meaning that it does not have a diagnosis that would allow it to survive outside the womb, or, and this is the most vague of the three exceptions, if there is um, severe impairment to a major bodily function of the pregnant person, um, and this is the part that most, like many of the providers that we work with and in other fields have so much vagueness and ambiguity, that's why you're hearing some of those stories about folks who are being forced to almost die, get very, very close to real significant and permanent harm before the legal teams of hospitals allow for folks to intervene on their behalf. There are a bunch of other restrictions that have been passing in states like Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, and other places for many, many years before the Dobbs decision. So we've already had parental notification laws and waiting periods and mandated speech that the legislatures have forced us to give. But that's the lay of the six-week ban. And, you know, I just want to say, too, that law enforcement piece um, is... For those of you that really don't know, and this is a whole other podcast we've done a little bit, but law enforcement is in bed with the anti-abortion protesters. I mean, law, law enforcement, it's, it's been a problem in a lot of ways. They will literally stop and be with the protesters. Law enforcement is not a place anybody should, no one should have to report anything that happens to them to be able to access care. And we're also seeing um, that the organization that we were telling you about the Why We're Here, Operation Save America, like some of their leadership 
has been tabling and like leading the prayer breakfast at sheriff's conventions around the country mm-hmm. and doing all this stuff. So they are embedded hard in that. And that is like a piece that I just want to name because I feel like it's really scary. And Yang, you're director of nursing at Summit Clinic. I'm sorry, you are a nurse, a registered nurse at Summit Clinic. We had this conversation. (laughs) You work at ARC Southeast, an abortion funding resource for folks needing financial assistance for all aspects of their care. Can you tell the audience some of the ways that you help patients navigate this complicated abortion landscape that Kwajalein just described? Yeah. Um, Well, it's so crazy nowadays, especially since Roe, but... The landscape in the South has always been crazy, Um, so let's start there. But um, especially since Roe has fallen, it's not the actual abortion itself that's stressing people out. Um, It's how to get there. It's the logistical part of getting the abortion. And what I'm seeing being on the nursing side is when I'm at the clinic and I just see a sigh of relief when people are in the clinic because actually getting there is the issue. And so what our team does is just basically think about how you would plan for something as if you were traveling. We're your abortion travel agents. I'm your abortion bestie. I'm going to help you get to where you need to go. So things like, do you need a flight to get to where you're going? You know, um, They're checking the distance from where they live to where they need to go. If it seems like it's too long, let's just take a flight. Let's get you, get you there quicker. Um, do you need to have someone with you? Sometimes at clinics, you have to have an escort to sign you in. So um, if you're flying there and you don't have a car, what's that person going to do while you're at your appointment? Do I need to call the hotel and ask for a later checkout? Do I need to give your um, escort an Uber Eats voucher or Uber voucher to go to maybe a coffee shop and wait? Because you can't wait at the clinic. Most of the people that we serve are already parents. So do you need childcare? Are you bringing your child with you? You know, I've been on the internet with my caller and we're looking through hotels that have pools or that have breakfast so that your children can have something to do while you're actually getting your procedure. Have you even ever been on a plane before? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you may have people who their first time on a plane and they're, you have to explain what connecting flight means to somebody. Um, you have to tell them how to navigate through an airport and actually how to get to where they need to go or talk about Uber and explain what an Uber is and how it can get you from A to B. So it's a lot of education. It's a lot of, you know, supporting them to plan what they need to get done. Um, and yeah, it's just something that, like I say, I just plan it like I'm planning a trip for myself, my parent, or, or just someone, but also keeping in mind those little pieces like, what are we going to do when you're at your abortion? Like, yeah. where, where are you going to stay? And so it's, it's a lot of that. Um, and also because of these waiting periods in some of these different states, you know, in North Carolina, there's now a 72-hour waiting period. So you have to be counseled, and then you have to wait 72 hours before your procedure. So we're getting hotels from Monday through Saturday for people. Um, It's like you have to take out time to actually get this procedure. If people are taking the pill, let's give you a couple days so you can complete the medication abortion and then get a follow-up at the clinic before going to your state. You know, you may have people that are out for seven days and are needing to have that time so that they can get their abortion in a safe way, an accessible way, um, in a state that allows them to. So yeah, it's a lot of planning and a lot of thinking. talk about things and and sort of assisting people we talk from a place of privilege this baseline of privilege where you don't think about what if someone english isn't their first language you know what if they've never been on a plane like all of those things are so crucial to 
remind folks that, well, when Roe fell and everybody was like, I'll offer my room to somebody, I'll, I'll drive you someplace. Somebody should have a dignified abortion that they get to choose who their people are that they travel with. And you have to explain to a bunch of people, let's say you do need financial help or you know you need, you just need anything. The least amount of stories we should force somebody to have to tell about their abortion should be the goal. You know, yeah. your, your level of need shouldn't make somebody have to tell over and over again. Because isn't the goal to keep your own, to, to be able to have the, a dignified abortion? That's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. So thank you. Ken, I guess, Pajalina, could you deal with patients? Can you talk about what kind of toll these bans and this sort of travel have on the patients you see or your staff? So it certainly has been really confusing to a lot of people. You know, we certainly keep abreast of like what's happening at the legislature, just like you all do. We read these bills beginning to end, typos and all. But <laughs> your average person is trying to understand what's happening from the internet, from their friends, from the headlines, and trying to understand like all of the things that are required. So we get calls from folks who legit don't understand what's happening, why they can't have what they need. Oh, my friend told me that two years ago she came to you and it was fine and it was great and why can't I come? Or we have people travel from other parts of the country because even with a restricted state like Georgia, people are still coming to Georgia yes. where abortion has been totally banned. So they've come, they've gone through all the logistical support with an abortion fund like ARC Southeast or someone else. They've gotten all their things together. They get to us, they get to the ultrasound. And then sometimes we have to tell them no. Sometimes we have to tell them, we are so sorry, but we can't care for you anymore from this point. We can try to help you get somewhere else. And that is devastating. It's heartbreaking. So we're, you know, people are already being denied care where they live, and then they come to someplace else thinking there's going to be respite, and they're denied a second time. And we are telling them, actually, it's going to cost you more for you to figure out how to go to the next step. So that's really, like, upending for a lot of people. Our staff have been incredible. I just want to say that, like, you know, frontline staff, I know that you can say the same. Frontline staff in independent abortion providers are some of the hardest working, most creative, most compassionate people that you will ever meet in your life. And so their ability, their ability to make a way out of no way, their ability to like absorb all of the complex emotions that people are bringing in with them, their ability to navigate through a wall of protesters where they're coming into work every single day, like all of those things, um, they are incredible champions. And yet, so many clinics across the country that were in st states where abortion has been banned have been forced to close yep. or have been forced to pick up and move, leaving behind a talented, dedicated, highly skilled workforce who now have to figure out what else they're gonna do. Who, you know, and there are people who are in clinics now who are going to work every day not knowing what might happen. Is the legislature gonna do something worse? Are we actually bringing enough revenue to pay everybody? Right. Are we gonna have layoffs next week? So all of that insecurity on top of the incredibly hard work of abortion provision anyway, um, 
like I, I could not be more grateful for the people that I work with every single day. At Abortion AF, we love abortion providers because we know that they do a lot of the really important hard work of caring for people, caring for their neighbors a lot of the times. Um, Agbo, I wanted to ask you, uh, you are working in coalition to pass something called the Reproductive Freedom Act, which would put reproductive freedoms into Georgia law. It would repeal the Georgia restrictions to abortion care, and it would hopefully expand access to care. And this is awesome, but there's a GOP majority in both chambers and the governor, and it just got one more vote harder? Who is this this person that switched parties? (laughs) So we want to know, A, who is this person that switched parties? But also, why are you working so hard on a bill that has such a slim chance of passing? Yeah, so Representative Misha Maynard never heard her name before, honestly, before <laughs> the past couple Literally of days. She's been a mess. Never heard of her. She's been a mess. Really? She sounds like a total mess. And also, stop copycatting that also the other asshole in North Carolina. Right. Trish Gotham. It's, it's giving temper tantrum. <laughs> um, you know, take her ball and go home. So she switched parties because I guess she was having some discrepancies with fellow Democrats over school voucher programs and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's shitty, but that's just the What's reality. But to answer your second question, um, I live in Georgia. <laughs> I did this work in Georgia. Um, so any abortion advocacy, um, advocacy for trans folks, advocacy for queer folks, it's going to be an uphill battle. So I am not unfamiliar just with that notion of why, why the fuck are we doing this? You know, um, ooh, can I cuss? Yes, 1,000%. Did you just get just get here? Yes. Have you been listening to anything we fucking said? I, for fuck's sake, what are you even? Awesome, awesome. Um, so when it comes to bills like the Reproductive um, Freedom Act, just reminding folks that back in 2019, HB 481, Georgia's six-week abortion ban, it passed by one vote in the state of Georgia, it barely passed. And that's a testament to all the amazing advocacy that um, the amazing organizations did on that bill. Spark, Arc Southeast, Feminist, um, Napoff, all of these just amazing organizations, I definitely haven't named them all, who did the work, who wrangled these legislators um, to really try and make sure that this bill did not pass. Unfortunately, it did end up passing, but the fact that it passed by one vote Mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia. So thinking about that, that sort of gives me more momentum and it gives me hope. And I'll also say this, legislators, yes, they hold a lot of power, a lot of influence, but I really want to emphasize that the power is with the people, y'all. Like... We're the ones who tell the legislators what to do. They work for us. So when we introduce a bill like the Reproductive Freedom Act, even knowing that it might not pass, I try not to think of it as, oh, this policy that we want to get passed or, oh, this bill we want to get passed. I think of it more as a notice that this is the future that we are trying to build. This is the future we're going to see. We're just letting you know. That's right. You know, so... I try to think about that. That's really what keeps me 
optimistic about it, especially dealing with legislators who oftentimes, they're not listening. Yep. And they're very apparently just not caring about these issues, especially when you're up there talking about your experiences. It can be very, very disheartening. But we're dreaming of liberation. That's right. We're dreaming of a better future. And if we keep that dream in mind, we know that whatever they got going on, we know that we're right. We know that we're going to win. And yeah, that's all. That's what we do. We yep. We asked that question knowing that answer, but, <laughs> but I think it's important for folks to really hear that when legislation is pushed forth, when you know you don't have the votes, you have to start setting a groundwork for the aspirational world you want to live in. Otherwise, what's the point? That's what they did. That's what they did. That's, exactly That's what they did. They've they been trying to overturn Roe since 1973. And then it took them all this time to get there. And so it's going to take us less time to turn it back around. Yeah. That's what I know. Yep. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Agwa, you're, I want all of you to weigh on this, but Agwa, I want you to start first. Um, just talking about you're doing, we alluded and talked a little bit earlier in the show about fake clinics, and you're doing such a good campaign around fake clinics as well. I mean, you're just doing such good policy work. So will you talk a little bit about your um, fake clinic sock, which is amazing. It's not so, even a curse word. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talk a little bit about that, and then I would love to hear from both Inyang and Kwajalein about how fake clinics affect the work that you do. So talk a little bit about how you're trying to expose them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I laughed when you said that because I love talking about fake clinics. They're horrible. They're terrible, but I can talk about them for hours um, because they're that horrible and terrible. Um, and we're called fake clinic sucks, but there was conversation. You know, we wanted to be fuck fake clinics. You know, we wanted to, you know, be very transparent about... I think about for a minute we thought that was the name. We were like, oh, it's fuck fake clinics. And I'm we kept scared. saying it aspirationally. <laughs> There's an Instagram so page. Get... Okay. It's an Instagram page, fuck fake clinics. And we work with those folks as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, gay, gay. right, exactly. <laughs> I appreciate you just talking about fake clinics at the top of the show because I just really want to make clear that these are just horrible horrible, horrible institutions. Um, these are organizations with a clear agenda to prevent folks from getting the care they need. Um, so imagine being pregnant, and I'm just gonna just like quote their billboards, pregnant, scared, you're pregnant, you're scared, you wanna get resources, right? And you go into this facility thinking you're going to get some free resources, like um, a free pregnancy test, um, a free ultrasound, and you get there and from the moment you walk in there, they're calling you mom. They're trying to convince you that you need to carry this pregnancy to term. And I really want to emphasize that these are not medical providers. So we mentioned before, they do not have to keep your information private. And they won't keep your information private because, no. again, they have an agenda. Um, and on the subject of them not being medical providers, giving ultrasounds. Can you imagine or just a rando giving you an ultrasound? And that's literally what's happening. So A rando in a lab coat that they got from Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> literally, and an ultrasound machine they got from Amazon. So, <laughs> or the archdiocese. <laughs> so with the Fake Clinic Suck campaign, we're really trying to expose them for what they are. 
um, we want to demystify them. We want to make sure that folks can recognize them because you can Google abortion clinic and the first result yeah. would be an anti-abortion clinic, crisis pregnancy center, pregnancy resource center. Um, and that's you know, terrifying when you're really just looking for care. So on top of just demystifying, of course, our long-term um, goal for that campaign is defunding crisis pregnancy centers. Here's the fun fact. Georgia currently gives $2 million a year to fake clinics. That's correct. $2 million. Yeah, boo, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so the main goal of this campaign is to take away that funding and reallocate it to things that actually help people. I would love that money to go directly in the hands of pregnant folks who just want help, especially in Georgia, our maternal mortality rate, y'all. That money could be used for so much, just like so much better things. So right now, we're really at the stage of trying to mitigate the harms they're doing. We know that it's going to be, of course, an uphill battle, as we've talked about, to defund um, crisis pregnancy centers. Right now, we really want to focus on making sure they can't lie to people, um, making sure they can't lie about the services they offer. They can't position themselves as medical clinicians or that they provide, they can't tell people that they provide these services when they don't. Right. We want them to be transparent that they do not provide abortion care, they do not provide contraceptives, anything like that. Um, so right now, our main goal of the campaign is to hopefully pass policy to make it so, yeah, that crisis pregnancy centers can't lie to folks. And just from the base level, as consumers, we don't want to be lied to, right? That's really where we are with the campaign. I'm very hopeful that um, we can be successful. Um, we have legislators who are interested. And this is an issue that enrages enough people that I feel like we can get enough energy and momentum and enough rage to really make change. I encourage everyone to go to the Capitol come 2024 during legislative session and just let your folks know that this is not okay. What are you going to do about it? And if you start, you know, sign up with Spark, you can find out when to go to the Capitol. You don't just wander up to the Capitol and be like, hey, who do I talk to about fake clinics? <laughs> There's like a whole sitch. Um, but make sure that you go and sign up and get your asses on these mailing lists because this is, these people are gonna bring you a better Georgia and it's up to you to let them and be part of it. Like, I think that is super crucial. Um, and I just wanna quickly ask uh, uh, both of you just to talk a little bit about like, I know you've seen patients who have initially started their journey at a fake clinic and what that means. If you could just each quickly just talk a little bit about like what that looks like. Yeah, so um, some of the patients um, would have gone or do go to those clinics and they are telling them that they are farther along than they actually really are. So, I mean, they could say you're 12, 13 weeks and then, you know, they're like, well, I just want to here to get an ultrasound just to check. And they're really like four, five weeks mm -hmm. can still get an abortion in the state. And so the misinformation is just crazy. Or we'll have callers on the funding piece that will call us and be like, yes, I'm going to this clinic. And they told me to call y'all to get funding. And I'm like, oh, that's not, a, that's not a real clinic, and I just want to let you know that this is a, a fake clinic, and they're like, oh, well, they, I told them I was getting an abortion, and they told me to call y'all for help, and it's just like, oh, so you know what you're doing, and you're still having these people call us, and it's, it's sick, but yeah. that's what happens. 
One of the things that I also wanted to name is that they are also causing harm to people who want to continue pregnancies. Yes. Because they are not medically trained, because they are not able to accurately read an ultrasound, because they are shaming people about having sex outside of wedlock or um, who their partner is or all of these other things. And so they can't accurately diagnose someone with preeclampsia or an ectopic pregnancy or any of the other issues that might cause them to delay care that would help them to have a good birth outcome. So for people who claim to care so much about birth, like you would think that they would at least be invested in making sure that pregnant people had everything they need to be well, but they don't, they don't have that either. Mm -mm. They don't have shit. They literally don't have shit. They, everything they have, you could get at a dollar store, <laughs> except for the yes. ultrasound machine. Can I say one more thing? I just want to also name that there is at least one like example of a reproductive justice resource center for pregnant folks in Bloomington, Indiana, called All Options. Yes. Where they are providing folks with abortion funding, counseling, diapers, they have a milk bank. Like they are supporting people through pregnancy, parenting, abortion, and adoption. Literally all options. And so we need more places like that that people can turn to where they can get all of the support they need regardless of the ways that they want to deal with the pregnancy that they have at that moment. The work that the three of you do is so important. Can you quickly, everybody, say um, where people can find you? Yes, we are at SparkRJ now on all of our socials. So you can look us up on Instagram, um, Twitter. You can also find us at sparkrj.org. And we are feministcenter.org. We are um, at FWHC on Twitter. We are at Feminist Center on Instagram. They are not matching. I think we're on TikTok, but I don't really be knowing what's going on on TikTok, so I couldn't really call it. But yeah, certainly you can sign up for our newsletter. You can you know, get involved in all the work that we're doing. All of us work really closely together, so you get on anybody's list, you want everybody's list. Yeah. Yes, you can go on our Instagram at Arc Southeast, and then, yeah, you can look us up at Summit Medical Associates. And for the listeners at home, we will put all of this info in our show notes, and you can hear it then. Before we do take questions, I just want to say, do you feel better knowing this is the leadership of your state? Like, honestly, it's so amazing. Yeah. That's Woo! right. <laughs> the fan I mean, it's really true. And the reason we do this podcast is because it's so massively frustrating to not hear from the p people who are doing the work and to hear, conversely, people go, why isn't anyone doing anything? And it's like, what the fuck are you talking mm -hmm. about? People are doing shit all the time and you don't ever get a chance to meet them. So thank you, and we have questions. It's happening. Hi there, I'm Sarah. I'm actually a registered nurse as well, and a doula. And nice. as someone who has performed CPR on a dying pregnant person, I believe that abortions can save lives. Do you guys find that you're encountering more people having abortions, not medically speaking, at home? Because the resources are out there on the internet. Do you find that these people, when they're stuck not finding the resources with you guys, are they taking things into their own hands? Again, I've helped so many people lose their like pregnancies and whatnot in the emergency room, and so we see a lot of that, but it's on the back end, you know. 
So I do think that there's a lot more good, clear information about medication abortion, about self-managed abortion that is available to people. And so I think that there are certainly more conversations happening. I know in our clinic we're seeing more people choose medication abortion as opposed to procedural because they understand it more and they feel like it's the right choice for them. I don't think that self-managed abortion is a replacement for in-clinic care. I think we need more options as opposed to fewer. But I definitely think that there are many ways for folks to be supported and cared for, to manage their abortion care in a way that is dignifying to them, as, as Liz was talking about before. So having more folks who are holistic doulas, who can both support people in pregnancy and birth and can support people through abortion or pregnancy loss so that people can do it at home, can do it in a place where they feel comfortable and confident, but not necessarily have to go through all of the obstacles to get into a building like ours. So I am hopeful that as abortion is restored in the United States, which I believe it will be, that we will continue to see folks managing their abortions at home and in clinic, and that all of those options will be honored and dignified and well-resourced. Just a simple question. Can you speak a little bit to the impact that protesters and targeting and harassment and stalking and violence has on your staff, you know, in the three minutes that we have, and, and potentially also your patients, just so folks have an idea of what that's like? Well, um, at our clinic, there aren't many protesters because we're in the back, but I know that whenever I'm an escort for people um, and I go to other clinics, even for me myself, it's uncomfortable. Um, so even imagining the person that the person that I'm supporting, I mean, I know it, it has to be worse. And there was this one time that I was an escort for a caller. So when you're an escort, you sign them in um, to get to their appointment. And then when they're done, you pick them up. The antis normally will be at the clinic the first couple hours. They're trying to stop you from actually getting your procedure. So it had been about the fourth time that month that I had been signing someone in. And <laughs> I'll never forget it. On my way out, after signing them in, I locked eyes with an anti. It was beautiful. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we locked eyes. He had his megaphone in one hand and his hand on his hip in the other. And he looked at me. Mind you, it had been two weeks into the month, 14 days. And he screamed into the megaphone, well, this is the fourth time this month. And I was just like. <laughs> so people in the parking lot were staring at me. It was loud. I got a little embarrassed. You got me there, buddy. But then I was just like, oh, my gosh, this man thinks I've been pregnant four times in 14 days. And I wanted to say something to him. I wanted to educate him. And. Because, like, all the other people in the parking lot were like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, the people that were escorting. So, like, he was spreading that misinformation, that violence. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to let him believe I can. <laughs> so, I mean, it is crazy. Um, and how they are just, they remember me, you know, from just signing someone in. Like, that itself felt, it, it sucked. But I knew that if I give him one ounce of even an educated piece of the human body. Like, when you're making posters, what are you talking about? <laughs> but just, like, wanting to give him that energy, I said, I'm not. Because if I even give him just the ounce of attention, it's going to take it away from the person I'm helping in real time. Mm -hmm. And so it sucks not being able to be like, ah! But I'm also like, I have to help this person in this time. 
And they think they've won, you know. I didn't say nothing back to him, so he probably thinks I'm pregnant again. But just knowing that I have to support that person, it, it makes me not focus on those people. Yep. Well, that's why we're here. Right. You know, you got the patients. I'm like, what kind of a dumb shit are you? <laughs> right. You know, and uh, there is a person running for president right now that made the bold statement that uh, Democrats want to allow abortions up to 52 weeks of pregnancy. <laughs> and so you're like, we are living in troubled times, my friends. Um, watch. <laughs> I'll, I'll be really quick because I want to make sure we have time for one more question, but yeah, we certainly have regular protesters who are outside our building on a consistent basis. We unfortunately know them by name. And I think one of the things that's really important to name is that because so many of the patients we care for are black people, and so many of our staff and providers are black people, that is a regular part of the rhetoric that they are spouting at us. To try to talk specifically about like, how if black lives matter, why don't black babies matter? And those kinds of language, as if they're the people that we would have run into in the streets when we are trying to actually stand on behalf of black lives. And so I think that we, uh, we, are, we all practice this like non-engagement. We don't look them in the eye. We don't give them the time of day. I don't want them to even get a whiff of my perfume. I want them to not, I want to pretend as if they don't exist. Um, but it still is really hurtful to people who are coming in for care, who are not necessarily shamed by like the talk about how God hates them, but really can get offended by the co-option of language that is for our betterment and for our protection and being turned against us as we are trying to care for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that I really want people to know, that white supremacy is all up and through what they're spouting from that sidewalk. Yeah, 100%. All right, last question. Um, Hi, my name is Amira. Thank you all so much for speaking tonight and not only the work that you do every day to serve people right now, but also all the like visioning that you're doing to like build a better future. Like so much gratitude to all of you. I had to write my question down. Um, So it's, it's actually related to what you were just speaking about in terms of like black liberation. So... I have been supporting the movement to stop Cop City in Atlanta, um, which, if people don't know, is a $90 million police training facility that the city plans to demolish the Wilani Forest to build. And I'm wondering if any of you can speak to the connections between the movement to stop Cop City and reproductive justice movement work that you're doing in Atlanta, or even more broadly, the connections between the reproductive justice movement and the fight to stop police violence and the fight for black liberation. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Um, so thank you for this question and just highlighting the work of Stop Cop City. So we like to say that reproductive justice pretty much covers everything. So for those who aren't familiar just with like the tenets of reproductive justice, the right to have a child, the right to not have a child, the right to parent children in safe, affirming environments, and the right to bodily autonomy. So reproductive justice definitely has something to say about Cop City. Absolutely. It's especially the way, the way they went about it. I, and I, I can talk about that, but the existence or I guess this desire to build this police training facility 
when we have folks who are houseless, That's right. when we have folks who do not have what they need to survive in this, in this city and to give oh, $61 million um, to this facility that would train more officers to commit violence against our communities, that is an RJ issue because you can't raise children in that kind of environment. If you're afraid that anytime your young black child is going to school out in the streets, that they're going to be criminalized, that's, that impacts your decision on whether you want to have a child. That's right. So Stop Cop City is a reproductive justice issue. It really, really is. I really want to emphasize that. 100% a reproductive justice issue because it impacts how we're able to make these decisions about our lives. Uh -huh. It impacts the resources we have available to us um, and not even to talk about like the environmental right. impacts mm -hmm. of um, this thing. So again, thank you for just raising that. And I'll say that Spark is in conversation and partnership with Stop Cop City folks Absolutely. to get our folks out there canvassing. Um, if you are a resident of Atlanta, please sign the petition to get this referendum on the ballot come November um, because we need these signatures, y'all. Yeah, we need to make sure at the very least our voices can be heard instead of these backdoor dealings and, yeah, money being spent on things that we didn't want. Right. So. I will, again, I'll be really quick. I'll try my best. But I want to echo everything that, that Agbo said, but I also just want to emphasize that part of the reason that the reproductive justice framework was, was formed was because the choice narrative was not sufficient to actually explain the conditions mm -hmm. that we live under. And so if you have to choose between watching your children be gunned down in the street and terminating a pregnancy, that's not actually a choice. If you have to decide between bringing another child into your household and paying your light bill, that's not actually a choice. If you have to choose between like treating your, your cancer and remaining pregnant, that's not a choice. That is you dealing with the conditions that you find yourself in and doing the only thing that you can do to survive. And so what we actually need to do in addition to protecting and restoring access to compassionate abortion care and all reproductive health care, we also have to change the conditions that people live under. And so that includes us actually uprooting the police state that so many black and brown communities have been trying to survive for decades decades upon decades upon decades, for hundreds of years. So like actually trying to uproot not just Cop City, but the ways that our communities are being surveilled and controlled and harmed day after day. And again, you have just been told about all the ways that you can actually move forward. If you have not participated in this, please do. It's thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for your questions. Um, thank you for coming to the show. And I just also just want to say in this, in this room tonight are several people who are working in abortion care from around the country who are here. And I would just like you to give a round of applause to these amazing people who are here tonight and yourselves a round of applause for SCR patients working at clinics working at um, hotlines and doing the work, and also to our incredible staff at Abortion Access Front for making all of this happen. So thank you so much. Alyssa, tell people how to leave, what they need to do to make their lives better. <laughs> thank you so much to all of our guests. Give it up for Agbo Ifor, Inyang Njoku, and Kwadu and Jackson one more time. For our comedy guests, Brian.
Unger and Baron Vaughn. So funny. All the staff and volunteers, you, our amazing audience, Terminal West, and everybody listening at home, thank you. One more big round of applause for them. Now, get your fucking phones out, open up the podcast app, find the Feminist Buzzkills pod, and be sure to like, subscribe, and show us some love with a five-star rating. You can stay connected with us on social media at Abortion Front. Next week, we talk to Francesca Tripodi, author of The Propagandist Playbook, How Conservative Elites Manipulate, Search, and Threaten Democracy, and comedian Liz Glazer, who will chat about her cats and her comedy album, A Very Particular Experience. Join our Patreon. You'll support, get cool Feminist Buzzkills merch, and experiences. All the pledges made through our Patreon go to this podcast and all of our activism at Abortion Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills. Feminist Buzzkills is edited by Remy D. Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you, Moji. It's fine. This is the longest podcast ever, but I feel like you are the best audience. You're still, like, happy and alive. So we're going to leave you with a little treat. We leave you with someone who is a joy and a delight, and we're so thrilled they're alive. Tonight, it's the former national director of Operation Save America, Rusty Thomas, who shows his whole ass by demanding women never show theirs. The gender sin, when it comes to the female, is to control, manipulate, and dominate the male. I'm gonna say that again. You have manhood, their inherent weakness, passivity, and irresponsibility. For the woman, it is to dominate, manipulate, and control the male. Totally out of order, spinning out of control. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.